0: This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Merry Christmas, folks. Today is the Feast of the Nativity of Our Lord, and it lands on a Sunday, which is interesting. So short of there being some catastrophic breaking news in the church, there will be no news video today. But I have multiple of these sermon videos for you today. And this one comes from St. Francis of Sales. It's his famous Christmas Midnight Mass sermon delivered in the year 1622, 400 years ago to the day. And it's a very basic sermon about, the need, about our Lord coming in the form that he did, and that God the Father could have given our Lord any form he wanted of his choosing. He could have had an angelic form. He could have been born the way that Adam and Eve were born. But instead, he chose him to be born... In much the same way that the rest of us were. It's um, a good, humble reminder, I think, of the real gravity of the Incarnation and what the Incarnation truly means. Let me know what you think of this at the end, please. Sermon of St. Francis de Sales, given at the Midnight Mass. Among the solemnities of Holy Church, there are three which have been celebrated at all times and which have their original source in that great feast of Passover which was observed in the Old Law. These three feasts are called the Pasch or Passage or Passover. Today's feast was instituted to commemorate our Lord's passage from his divinity to our humanity. The second passage is that from his Passion and death to his Resurrection, his passage from mortality to immortality, which we celebrate all during Holy Week and at Easter. The third passage is celebrated at Pentecost, the day on which our Lord adopted the Gentiles, and permitted them to pass from infidelity to the happiness of becoming his well-beloved children, the greatest happiness possible for the church. All these feasts find their source in today's mystery. But you may say at this point that it is not unusual to preach at night, and I reply that it was indeed the custom in the primitive church, while it was in its first flower and vigor. St. Gregory bears witness to this in his homily for this day. The early Christians even said the three nocturnes of Matins separately, rising three times during the night for this purpose. However, they went to choir seven times a day to recite the office, thereby fulfilling verse 164 of Psalm 118. St. Augustine says that they even preached three times on this feast, first at midnight mass, then at mass, and finally at the mass during the day. So great was the fervor of those early Christians that nothing wearied them. The least among them was of greater value than of the best of religious today. We have become so cold since those early days that we must now shorten the Mass, the office, and sermons. But this is not to the point. Rather, I intend to speak to you first of which the Church sets before us this day, and then of what we should hope for and do in light of this faith. If I do not finish all that I want to say, I shall do so later in the day, if God gives us the time. Before beginning my discourse, I wish to remind you that I like to use analogies when I preach. I will do so here, too. Now, in all that we do or plan, if we are wise, we keep its purpose or goal in mind. For we should have one. For example, if someone intends to build a house or a palace, he must first consider whether it is to be a lodging for a vine dresser or a peasant, or if it is for a lord, since obviously he would use entirely different plans, depending on the rank of the person who is to live there. Now, the Eternal Father did just that when he built this world. He intended to create it for the incarnation of his Son, the Eternal Word. The end or goal of his work was thus its beginning, for divine wisdom had foreseen from all eternity that his Word would assume our nature in coming to earth. This was his intent even before Lucifer and the world were created and our first parents sinned. Our true and certain tradition holds that 1,622 years ago, our Lord came to this world and, in assuming our nature, became man. Thus we are celebrating the Savior's birth on earth. But before speaking of that birth, let us say something of the words divine and eternal birth. The Father eternally begets his Son, who is like him and co-eternal with him. He had no beginning, being in all things equal to his Father. Yet we speak of the Son being born for us from the Father's bosom, from his substance, as we speak of the rays coming forth from the bosom of the Son even though the sun and its rays are but one and the same substance. We are forced to speak thus, recognizing the inadequacy of our words. Were we angels, we would be able to speak of God in a far more adequate and excellent way. Alas, we are only a little dust, children who really do not know what they are talking about. The Son, then, begotten of the Father, proceeds from the Father, without occupying any other place. He is born in heaven of his Father, without a mother. As a sole origin of the Most Blessed Trinity, the Father remains the Virgin of Virgins. On earth the Son is born of his mother, Our Lady without a father. Let us say a word about these two births, for which we have true and certain proofs, as I said a while ago. The evangelist, Luke in the Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35, assures us that the divine word became flesh in the most holy virgin's womb when the angel announced to her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that the power of the Most High would overshadow her. This is not, of course, to say that in Jesus Christ there are two persons. In the hypostatic union, the word became flesh as true God and true man, and this without any separation from the moment of his conception. Some examples may help. Naturalists tell us that honey is made of a certain gum called manna, which falls from the sky and unites or mixes with flowers, which in turn draw their substance from the earth. In joining together, these two substances result in the one honey. In our Lord and Master, divinity has similarly united our nature with his own, and God has made us shares of the divine nature in some fashion. See Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. For he was made man like us. See the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 7, and the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15. Note that there is a difference between honey collected from thyme and all other kinds. It is much more excellent than that called Heracleion, which is made from the aconite and other flowers. As soon as we taste it, we recognize that it is from thyme, because it is both bitter and sweet. Heracleion honey, on the other hand, causes death. It is similar with our Lord's sacred humanity. Springing from Mary's virginal soil, His humanity is very different from ours, which is wholly tainted by corruption and sin. Indeed, because the Eternal Father willed his only begotten Son to be the Head and Absolute Lord of all creatures, see to the letter of the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, He willed that the Most Holy Virgin should be the Most Excellent of all creatures, since he had chosen her from all eternity to be the Mother of his Divine Son. In truth, Mary's sacred womb was a mystical hive in which the Holy Spirit formed this honeycomb with her most pure blood. Further, the word created Mary and was born of her, just as the bee makes honey and honey the bee. For one never sees a bee without honey, nor honey without a bee. At his birth, we have very clear proofs of our Lord's divinity. Angels descend from heaven and announce to the shepherds that a Savior is born to them. See Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. Magi come to adore him. This clearly shows us that he was more than man, just as, on the contrary, his moaning as he lies in his manger, shivering from the cold, show us that he was truly man. Let us consider the eternal Father's goodness. He had so desired he could have created his son's humanity as he did that of our first parents, or even given him an angelic nature, for it was in his power to do so. Had he willed to do so, our Lord would not have been of our nature. He would not then have made any alliance with him. But his goodness was such that he had made himself our brother in order that he might both give us an example, see Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11-17, to 17, and also render us sharers in his glory. It was for this reason that he willed to be of Abraham's seed, for the most holy virgin was indeed of Abraham's race, for it is said of her, Abraham and his seed. See Luke chapter 1 verse 55, the letter to the Romans chapter 1 verse 3, the letter to the Galatians chapter 3 verse 16. I leave you at the feet of this blessed mother and child, so that, like little bees, you may gather the milk and honey that flow from these holy mysteries and her chaste breast, while waiting for me to continue, if God grants us the grace and gives us the time. I beg him to bless us with his benediction. Amen. The famous Christmas midnight mass sermon of St. Francis de Sales, given in the year 1622, 400 years ago. I hope the, the sermon you heard at mass last night or this morning, or that you will hear this morning if you're on your way to mass, is as simple and good as this. St. Francis de Sales is a saint that I need to cover more. And I have a book of his, I believe, Lenten uh, sermon. So during Lent, I will hopefully have St. Francis de Sales for you here. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As to sharing this on social media. let always pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.